Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. We hope you'll discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. Hey, Barbie. Can I come to your house tonight? This is the best day ever. It is the best day ever. So is yesterday, and so is tomorrow, and every day from now until forever. Do you guys ever think about dying? Why? Why? How about because this is the most important thing that ever happened in the history of the world? I work here. We'll ensure a peace mankind has never seen. Until somebody builds a bigger one. You're passing judgment on people you know nothing about. His house has a very good vibe. Stop the vehicle, Sergeant. We don't want to go down this road. You're out of your bounds, Ahmed. You're here to translate. Actually, I'm here to interpret. Wow, this is the real world. (laughs) What's going on? Why are these men looking at me? Yeah, they're also staring at me. What's up, everybody? It is great to see you guys, and I'm Pastor Kyra, and today I am excited because we get to talk about the biggest blockbuster of the summer, Barbie. Make some noise if there are any fans here today. Thank you for wearing pink. Uh, Who's seen the movie? Show of hands who have seen the movie. It's pretty good, right? It had the biggest opening of any movie in 2023 and has made a bar billion. See what I did there, folks? I'll be here all day. Uh, It's actually breaking box office records around the globe, grossing $1.18 billion in ticket sales, something that only has been achieved by about 50 other films in history. Pretty cool. Now, when I heard that they were making a movie about Barbie, I was hit with so much nostalgia because it made me relive my childhood. I loved playing with Barbie when I was a little girl. Now, I'm no Margot Robbie, but in my imagination, brunette Barbie was always the leading lady in every one of my adventures. And I confess that I played with Barbies until I was in the seventh grade. Don't judge me. The internet did not come to my house until I was 19 years old, all right? I had a long childhood. And then when I had a daughter of my own, I passed down my love of Barbies down to her, which is why, like most people in America, we went to see the movie as a family, and my daughter Gabby and I totally dressed up in pink. And actually, I realized I'm wearing the same shirt. Look at that. So earthly conscious. Uh, I realized two things. First, I thought I had a lot of shoes until I saw Barbie's dream house. I got nothing on Barbie, all right? There is no guilt in my heart. And second of all, the movie, it gave me the perfect excuse to buy a pink outfit because it is for the gospel, people. It's for the gospel. 
Although truthfully, I do feel more like I'm in an episode of Miami Vice, Don Johnson has nothing on me. Because uh, unless you have been living under a rock, you know Hot Pink has taken over the cultural conversation. Barbie is dominating in search engines, in podcasts, in merchandise, in mainstream media with questions about power, gender, purpose, and death. Uh, now, Greta Gerwig is the gifted director who brought Barbie to life on screen, and she chose Margot Robbie to play the iconic doll. And the basic plot of Barbie is actually pretty simple. If you haven't seen it, in Barbie, life exists in two parallel universes. There's Barbie land, and then there's the real world. Now, Barbie land, it is full of harmony, it's fun, it's beautiful, there's no conflict, and every day is the best day ever. It's a hyper-girly plastic paradise. And then there's the real world, which is our world, which is rife with duplicity and resentment and sexism and corporate greed, among other ills. Now, before we break down the story and connect it to scripture, I want to watch the official trailer so that it's fresh in your mind. So sit back, relax, munch on some popcorn. Here is Barbie. Two of your dolls have gotten loose. <gasps> this is the real world. Wow. Why are these men looking at me? If this got out that our dolls were coming to Los Angeles from Barbie land, this would be catastrophic. No, I won't let you do just one appendectomy. But I'm a man. But not a doctor. Can I talk to a doctor? You are talking to a doctor. There he is. Doctor! Somebody get security. Barbie in cinemas July 21. Now, as the movie opens, we see that Barbie land is a matriarchal society where all women who are all named Barbie are in charge. And the men who are all named Ken, they're just happy to fight over Barbie's attention. And in Barbie land, there's every kind of Barbie. There's President Barbie, and Writer Barbie, and Physicist Barbie, and Dr. Barbie, and Lawyer Barbie, and even Weird Barbie. And by the way, uh, when after we watched the movie, I was uh, driving in the car with my daughter going back home, and I said, honey, what Barbie do you think I could be? And she said, mom, you should be in a category all on your own. I'm feeling the vibes of Pastor Barbie. And I have to say, I accept it, so uh, look for my new title soon, all right? Uh, in the movie, Margot Robbie plays stereotypical Barbie. She's the Barbie that we first think of when we think of Barbie. And in her world, like I said, Barbies rule, and Kens exist only for Barbie, which is why critics have said that the movie is anti-male, and they've protested the treatment of Ken, played by Ryan Gosling in the movie. Other critics feel that Barbie has created damaging stereotypes about how women and girls see themselves and therefore the movie should be boycotted. But no matter how you feel about the movie today, I want to unpack what the Bible has to say about some of the spiritual themes that are in the movie. Because if it started a cultural conversation, I think the church has a responsibility to lean in and offer biblical truth. Amen? So to unpack the movie, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning, back to Genesis, specifically Genesis 2, which lays the foundation for God's original design for mankind. Here we go. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he placed the man that he had made. So God places the first man, Adam, in a garden. And Adam's probably wondering, what do I do now? 
So God gives him a job. Let's skip down to verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to, read it with me, church, tend and watch over it. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. Now, did you catch the sequence? God creates man, then God gives him work, and then he gives him a woman. Fellas, that means you got a lot of work to do if you want a godly woman in your life, all right? Now, it sounds funny, but it's true because God's purpose for your life will always come before the person. And I want you to keep that in your back pocket for now because we're going to come back to that later. But later on, we read Adam and Eve get married, and here's what the Bible tells us. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, even though Adam and Eve were completely naked before each other and before God, they felt no shame. Want to know why? Because they had no other opinion to deal with other than the love of God himself. Perfection was everywhere. It was between their relationship. In other words, there were zero gender wars. It was between themselves and God, and it was between them and their environment. They were in paradise literally every day for Adam and Eve was the best day ever. And if that sounds similar to Barbie, it is not a coincidence because in the movie, the Barbies don't leave, live in Eden, but they do live in a pink plastic paradise called Barbie Land. Every day is sunny and perfect, especially for stereotypical Barbie. Until one day in the middle of a party, Barbie suddenly starts thinking about death and weird things start to happen. She wakes up with her hair in a mess. She starts to drop things. The toast in the morning breakfast burns. Her shower is cold. Her feet fall flat. She has cellulite appear up her leg, which is why Barbie is forced to seek out the counsel of weird Barbie. Now, Weird Barbie is played by Kate McKinnon in the film, and she's weird because she's been played too roughly with. You guys know those kids that just run down their toys? I know some of you are sitting here right now, and that was you, okay? You created Weird Barbie. And so Weird Barbie can do splits. She has crazy hair. She can be pretty cynical. I want you to meet Weird Barbie. Hello? Hmm? Humans. We're fine. And Ellen. Come into my weird house, hi. I'm Weird Barbie, I am in the splits, I have a funky haircut and I smell like basement. Oh my God, I had a Weird Barbie. Yeah, you did. You make them weird by playing too hard. It's cool. Now Weird Barbie is a little rough around the edges because she has seen things that the other Barbies wouldn't believe, which explains why they make fun of her, but also why the Barbies turn to Weird Barbie whenever they need advice, and that's exactly what stereotypical Barbie does after her feet become flat. You see, up to this point, Barbie has known only good. Remember, every night is a party. But now she knows good and evil. Her feet are flat. She knows the horrors of cellulite. So weird Barbie gives her a choice. She can remain clueless and forget what she has seen, or she can leave paradise and go to the real world. Barbie's presented with a choice very similar to the choice given to Adam and Eve to eat 
or not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Check it out. What can I do you for? I just had to come see you about my feet. They're, um... Flat. Yeah. Never seen that before. Really? Whoa. What do I have to do? You have to go to the real world. You can go back to your regular life and forget any of this ever happened. Or you can know the truth about the universe. The first one. The high heel. No. We'll do a redo. You're supposed to want to know. <laughs> if you have seen the movie, you know Barbie chooses the knowledge of evil. That is what an ugly brown Birkenstock is, by the way. No offense, but that is pure ugly evil. She leaves paradise and Ken goes with her. And when they get to the real world, they discover that suddenly they're self-conscious. They start to become aware that people are looking at them. Barbie starts feeling embarrassed. She's anxious. She's ill at ease. They feel naked and vulnerable, which is exactly how Adam and Eve felt when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Remember, back when Adam was in the Garden of Eden, God had given him one clear command. But the Lord God warned him, meaning Adam, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. In other words, God says, guys, you're free to eat any fruit of any tree in the garden except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so, of course, that is the fruit that they naturally end up eating. Let's keep reading. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and so he ate it. Then the eyes of them were opened and they realized they were, say it with me, church, naked. Guys, this is humanity's first failure in the you had one job department. All right, you know why God warned Adam not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Because we were never meant to have the knowledge of evil. You know what the knowledge of evil is? It's all the things that we experience in this life that we know are not supposed to be that way. It's the cancer diagnosis of a three-year-old. It's losing your job after 10 years of employment. It's the death by suicide of a 37-year-old, the infertility struggle of a 30-year-old. It's the betrayal of a spouse after 25 years of marriage, and the list goes on and on. The knowledge of evil is all the things that we know are not supposed to be this way, which is why immediately after they eat the fruit, Adam and Eve's eyes are open, and they realize they are naked, and they feel ashamed. They weren't just physically naked. They were emotionally and spiritually naked too. Adam and Eve unleashed sin that day, and we're still living that reality today. And because sin is never without consequence, in fact, sin and consequence are always a package deal, we get to read about the consequences of their sin. Look at verse 22. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. 
What's the consequence of Adam and Eve's sin? It's banishment from the garden. Why? Well, let's go back to the text. Because remember, there is another tree in the garden, the tree of life. And Adam and Eve were allowed to eat from that tree when they were in perfection. Because to eat from the tree of life meant their lives would be eternal. And that was good when they were perfect. But now that sin has entered their world and their bodies are in a state of decay, they are separated from God. If God would have let them eat from the tree of life, they would have been stuck in that state forever. And God loved them way too much to do that. I mean, think about it. God knows that to live forever in a broken world would be unbearable. So he sends Adam and Eve out of the garden and he gives them a gift that doesn't feel like a gift in that moment because they become mortal. They cannot eat from the tree of life anymore. God will allow their physical bodies to die so that they can trade them for a spiritual body that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ will allow them to enter back into that perfect relationship with God. So understand, God's banishment of Adam and Eve was not an act of cruelty. It was an act of great mercy. Why? Because God is always bringing people back to himself. Now, let me just point out one thing. The human heart was created in the context of the perfection of the Garden of Eden. And when Adam and Eve were banished from the garden, God did not strip from them that awareness of perfection. In fact, the awareness of perfection is actually etched into the very DNA of our souls. We all know perfection exists, but no matter how much we look for it, we cannot find it. Was it actually the source for all of life's disappointments? Think about it this way. You guys ever been in a group and you're hanging out and someone says, hey, let's take a picture. And so you decide that you're going to take a picture with your group and you're all smiling. But before someone posts it, you say, can I see it? And so you, they give you the phone and you're holding the phone and you go like this because you're zooming it. What are you looking at? You're looking at yourself. Come on, somebody. And if you had the bad luck to be at the end of the group shot and you're caught on the side and they get you all wide in the thigh and your chin is doing something that's not really kind and your arms look like it's two in one, what do you do? You say, let's take the picture again. Why? Oh, because you know perfection exists and that ain't it, right? And even if you do like the picture, you crop it, you filter it, you airbrush the heck out of it before you post it. And then when you do post it, you want other people to think it's perfect too. So you go refresh, refresh, refresh to see how many likes you got. We have an awareness of what perfection is. We're all searching for it, even though we cannot find it. And that, my friends, is why we experience disappointment. So here's my question to you. Why didn't God strip the awareness of perfection from our hearts? The answer is because it's his way of drawing our hearts back to him. The only one who is perfect. The only one who will ever be perfect. Remember, God is always bringing people back to himself. And he's the only answer to our desire and our quest and our search for perfection. Now, the movie Barbie tackles this theme of perfection. The movie knows perfection's not only plastic, it's false. Guys, no one looks like Barbie forever, not even Margot Robbie. No one can really live in Barbie land. 
No one is successful all of the time, like the other Barbies. Even plastic dolls get flat feet and cellulite, which is why when we hold things up to a perfect standard, and our standard of perfection does not match reality, oh, we experience disappointment. Now, if our disappointment is just that we went to Starbucks and the barista frappéed our latte and waylaid our whole day, we think, oh, I'll just put a little Jesus on this and I'll get on with my disappointment. But some of you are experiencing disappointments that are pretty serious. In fact, they're not disappointments. I would say they feel more like devastations. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know what it feels like to have had the desire for something, a forever marriage, a perfect family, perpetual health, a long career, and yet what you're experiencing on this side of heaven is the devastation of divorce, you're experiencing infertility, death, and joblessness. That's what happens to Barbie in the movie. Because when she comes to the real world, she's devastated to realize the real world isn't a matriarchy at all, but rather a patriarchy. Her belief system is destroyed when she realizes not only have the Barbies not made life better for women in the real world, many young girls actually dislike her. Meanwhile, Ken, God bless him, discovers patriarchy. And he thinks patriarchy has a lot to do with horses, God bless his soul, but also with the subjugation of women. By the way, this is the means through which a sort of original sin leaks into Barbie land because Ken attempts to bring patriarchy to Barbie land and it becomes Ken's Mojo Dojo Casa House, which is really fun to say. Ken's Mojo Dojo Casa House instead of Barbie's dream house. And we see that life for the Barbies turns out for the worse. Now, I want to acknowledge that this is where critics start to hate the movie because they don't like how men are represented in the film. But I don't want you to miss this. Because while it's true that the movie touches on themes of patriarchy and feminism, Ken's major struggle in the movie is not really about his place in the social order, but about his purpose. Because his entire personhood is defined by being Barbie's boyfriend. And this is a struggle that I think both men and women can relate to in the real world, because that is what culture would like you to believe, that if you don't have a partner, you don't have a purpose. Remember I told you to keep the idea in your back pocket that God's purpose always comes before the person? It's time to get it out now. Because in the film, we see Ken acknowledge he has this desire to be validated and affirmed by Barbie as a means to fulfill his purpose. And Ken, he ends up singing openly about his struggles in what's become the song of summer 2023. I just don't know who I am without you. You're Ken. But it's Barbie and Ken. There is no just Ken. Doesn't seem to matter what I do. I'm always number two. No one knows how hard I tried. Oh, oh, I, I have feelings that I can't explain. Driving me insane All my life been so polite Cause I'm just kidding Anywhere else I'd be dead Is it my destiny to live and die A life of blonde fragility I'm just kidding Where I see love she sees a friend What will it take 
I think in life, there are many times where we feel like Ken and we're tempted to flip the order. We want our value and our purpose to come from the relationships that we're in. So I want to speak to the single people in this church for a minute. The world will want you to try and get with someone without first understanding your God-given purpose. And if you won't do that, then the enemy will want you to believe your purpose is tied to someone else and that until you find that person, you're purposeless. But that's not what God actually says. Remember this verse that we read earlier today? The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to do what, church? Read it with me. To tend and watch over it. Guys, culture will want you to believe that if you're single, you're just waiting for your real life to begin, for your real purpose to start. But again, God says otherwise. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over this or over it. What does this mean? It means Adam had a purpose before he ever had a partner. God gave him work to do before he ever gave him a woman. And watch this. His purpose does not change after he gets married. Why is that? Because God's purpose will always come before the person. Adam had a God-given purpose long before ever Eve ever got to the garden. And what was his purpose? He managed a resort named Paradise, which is not a bad gig if you ask me. And by the time God created Eve, it was so that she could help him with his purpose. Understand, God did not give Eve to Adam so that he could find his purpose. God gave Adam the purpose first, and then he sent him a partner in Eve. Which is why in the movie, Ken goes on to realize his identity and his purpose is much more than just following Barbie around like a little puppy. He understands a partner should never define your purpose because no relationship can ever do that for a person. And this is when Ken realizes he is Kenuff, my friends, and so are you. In fact, why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell them you are Kenuff, all right? No matter the season you're in, if you are single, if you're widowed, if you're divorced, if you're married, your God-given purpose will always come outside of any relationship you may be in or want to be in. And if you get your person, listen to me now, they better help you fulfill the purpose that God has put you on this earth for instead of getting in the way of that. And as for Barbie, oh, she struggles with her purpose too, because by this point, Barbie has gone flat-footed. She's gone through land and sea, the great outdoors, outer space. She's been arrested twice. She has actually been able to dismantle Kent's cowboy patriarchy. She's restored the matriarchy of Barbie land. And still, she is left feeling unworthy, ugly, and unfulfilled. Understand, Barbie's going through an existential crisis. And it's all because of a character named Gloria. Gloria is played by America Ferreira. And in the movie, she's the real-life woman who plays with Barbie in the real world. Now, Gloria herself has been going through her own struggles as her daughter Sasha is growing up, and she copes by drawing Depression Barbie. And Depression Barbie, she scrolls Instagram for seven hours a day, she re-watches Pride and Prejudice, and she has irrepressible thoughts of death. Barbie goes to the real world to find Gloria, and she brings Gloria and her daughter Sasha back to Barbie land. I want you to meet Gloria and Sasha. I love rollerblades. 
Where are we going? Barbie land. What? Mom, are you really gonna let Barbie take you and your tween daughter to an imaginary land? Yes, and you wanna know why? Because I never get to do anything. I didn't even go on that cruise I won at your school raffle because I didn't have enough vacation days and your dad's allergic to sun. Oh. What about dad? You can't just leave him. He'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, he'll be fine. Ready for fun? Did your cash when Gloria said, I never get to do anything fun? Gloria's depression has actually altered Barbie's brain chemistry. Because now Barbie knows not every day we spend alive is amazing. Not every night is girls' night. Life's not only full of mundane tasks, we do have to go to the gynecologist, but also sometimes you're gonna feel bad and you will get cellulite, all right? And you'll eventually die. But there will also be joys that you can found or find outside of a once perfect existence. And truthfully, Barbie's dilemma of what it means to do life in an imperfect world is also our own dilemma. I want to provide you some spiritual orientation. We started life in the perfection of Eden, but we don't live there anymore. So now we live in the, with the anxiety of the first Eden. But we also know that God is making everything new. Again, I want to read to you Revelations 21. It says, And I heard a loud voice coming from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne has said, I am making everything new. Guys, what we have just read is the promise that the perfection of Eden will return. But not only are we living from anxiety of the first Eden, we're also in anticipation of the second Eden, which is why right now life is in between two gardens. We are fragile human beings living life in between two gardens. And I wonder if that could help us make a little bit more sense of the disappointments that we experience in this life and actually help us stop expecting perfection of ourselves, of our kids, of our relationships, of other people, perfection that not even God himself expects from us. I wonder if that will help us give people more grace. I wonder if that will help us stop expecting our jobs to be so perfect and fulfill us all of the time. Stop expecting church to be so perfect. Stop expecting people to be so perfect, only to be disappointed again. Life is in between two gardens. It's not always going to be this way, but it is that way today. So what do we do? As we wait for the restoration of Eden, how do we live life in between two gardens? Well, I want to tell you about a middle garden that we can find in this life in between two gardens. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane. That's me standing at the Garden of Gethsemane. I went there uh, for the first time this past May when our church visited Israel. And you can see it's a beautiful garden. It's secluded. It's the perfect place to seek solitude, to actually go and pray. It's located right outside the walls of Jerusalem. And Jesus would often take his disciples here to get away from the people and, and get some rest. But this time that I'm about to read to you was different. Because what I'm about to read takes place right before Jesus is arrested. So let's join Jesus in the garden by turning to Matthew 26. 
Then Jesus went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. You guys know who that is? Anybody? Any advanced placement Bible students? James and John, along with him. And he began to be, what's the word, church? Sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Church, I know many of you today know exactly what Jesus is feeling in this moment. Where you feel so bad, you feel like you're going to die. I know many of you are hanging on by a thread because you've experienced or are experiencing the death of a loved one, a cancer diagnosis, a severe depression, infertility, anxiety that can't seem to be kept at bay, heartbreak over your kids, can I tell you? If you feel that way today, I am so proud that you came to church today because this is exactly where you need to be. Because sometimes when we can't find our footing in life and we feel so overwhelmed, guys, we have to be surrounded by people who can proclaim the faithfulness of God to us. We have to be surrounded by people and be in a place where we can be reminded that our God is good. I think that's why Jesus tells his disciples, stay here and keep watch with me. It's not that he doesn't know when the guards are coming. I mean, he's God. He knows when the guards are coming. I think instead Jesus says, stay here and keep watch with me. Because what he's really saying is, watch how I do life in between two gardens. Because you're going to need to know this. You're going to need this when you two are going through seasons of incredible sorrow and grief. I want you to stay here and watch with me and keep your eyes on me. Because I'm about to give you a master class on how to deal with suffering and disappointment in a godly way. And because Jesus knows what it feels like to be heartbroken, to be betrayed, to be overwhelmed with sorrow, we can trust him in our deepest pain. And what Jesus invites us to do in this life between two gardens is to surrender our deepest longings and our deepest pain to him. I want you to look at verse 39. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. You know, this past May, when we went to Israel, we were in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Pastor Tim led our group in a devotion, and he asked us one question. He said, what do you need to surrender to Jesus in this garden. And he sent us out to pray by ourselves. And my husband and I went to pray together. And I'm gonna be very transparent. I was stuck because I did not want to surrender the thing that I was praying for. See, my husband and I, we've been praying for something in the life of one of our kids for a while now. And I can honestly tell you, I could not say to Jesus, Lord, not as I will, but as you will. Because I did not want that thing that I was praying for. My will was for God to remove it. His will is right now for that circumstance to still be a part of our lives. And I was stuck on these other words instead. My father, if it is 
possible. May this cup be taken from me. Because dear God, I know what that feels like. Oh, I know what it feels like to know that our God is possible and capable of doing everything. And in the garden of Gethsemane, I pray, God, everything is possible for you. I need you to change this circumstance in my kid's life. I see you changing it for other people. God, change it for me. Change it for my family. I want to surrender to your will, but my faith, oh, it's in conflict with my feelings. And I know many of you know exactly what that feels like. But it's in that moment of desperation that Jesus has a marked moment before going to the cross where he exchanged his will. Take this cup from me for God's will. Because he knew God's will is always better. And here's where I get in trouble with my faith. I'm going to be very transparent. I know that even if God doesn't change my circumstances, I know that he will bring good to me because his goodness never ends. Oh, but I get in trouble every time that I run ahead of him and I tell God what is the version of good that he needs to bring over my circumstances. And I think we need to stop holding God accountable for a good that he never wrote. Listen to me now. He will bring good and his goodness will always be better, but it won't necessarily be your version of good. That's how the movie Barbie ends, by the way. Barbie eventually meets Ruth Handler. She's played by Rhea Perlman in the film. Ruth is Barbie's creator. She is the film's version of God. And Ruth encourages Barbie to make a choice. You can stay in Barbie land in a plastic paradise where every day is amazing, but also every day is the same. Or you can go back to the real world as a human and trade perfection for a life that can be good, but also is a life that's full of sadness and grief and tragedy. Barbie eventually decides to become human. She leaves Barbie land. She ultimately finds her purpose in becoming an active part of the world rather than simply an idea. Even if it means that at some point she will die, she'd rather embrace a life of imperfection than a life of plastic perfection. And that's how I wanna end our time together today. I wanna invite you into a similar choice. Will you cling on to your notion of what good or perfect in your life looks like? Or will you have a marked moment of faith, much like Jesus did before going to the cross, and surrender to his will and his goodness for your life, even if it doesn't align with your notion of what God looks like? Here's how I have had my own marked moments where I've traded my will for God's will. What I do is I stand in the middle of my circumstance, the same circumstances that I prayed about in the Garden of Gethsemane this past May that have brought my family a lot of pain and sorrow. I stand in those circumstances and I say, God, you are good. Oh God, I know you are good to me. Oh God, I know that this doesn't feel good. I don't know or I can't see the good that's gonna come from this, but God, I know that you are good and you are good to me. Other people might not be good to me, but you are good to me. And God, you are good at being God. So I'm going to lay down my will. I'm going to lay down my suggestions of how this should go. And I'm going to accept that my job is just to surrender and be obedient to you. Because it's your job to take care of everything else. 
Can you declare the same thing today with me, church? Because if you can, I want to invite you to stand up wherever you are today. Whether you're at home, in one of our locations, in your car, wherever you may be sitting, I want you to stand up because I want to pray for you. You may be looking today at your circumstances and all you may be able to see right now is dust. But here's the thing that I want to remind you of. When you get into God's word and God's word gets into you, he's going to remind you in him there is always a different ending. And God reminds us from Genesis 2 that out of all the ingredients that he could have chosen to make his favorite creation, and he had access to them all, God chose dust. And he picked up that dust and he breathed into it and life came from that dust. So no matter where you are today, I want you to know dust may be the thing that God needs to make everything new again. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the invitation that you make of us today, for the reminder that to live a life in an imperfect world in between two gardens is a life of surrender. It's a life where we say it's not our will, but your will. And so now I ask you to look upon the children who are standing in the locations that they're in, and I just ask through your sovereign grace to be with them to breathe life back into them, to remind them that you are with them, to remind them that your grace abounds, that your love covers all, and that your mercy never ends. We thank you for your faithfulness, and we thank you for the truth of your word, and we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group, outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.